The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Lloyd, today our show is about internet privacy anonymity and security and we have a book with that name as a matter of fact we are going to be speaking this morning with matthew bailey who is in vienna austria which is really kind of fun to bring him in from there let me tell you a little bit about matthew he has a interesting background he is the author of this new book complete guide to internet privacy anonymity and security And he's a lawyer by training, and he has been passionate about the Internet for so many years that he wanted to write this book. He holds a JD, a Juris Doctorate, and an MBA degrees from the University of Ottawa, Canada, and he's been a registered trademark agent. And in 1998, he obtained his legal qualifications as a barrister and solicitor, and that's what they call attorneys. The the barrister gets to go to court. The solicitor kind of helps them out. And he also has that not only for Canada, but for England. And he's worked as a lawyer in a number of different international settings and roles, including private practice in Canada and as in-house counsel in the UK, as an international commercial lawyer in Kosovo, and currently as a legal officer for a Vienna-based international organization. And he he's done a tremendous amount of things. He's doing lots of fun stuff, and especially this book. And so, uh, without further ado, let's talk to Matthew. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing? Good morning, Marty. I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Right. Well, listen, this, this book is great. It's, it's for the consumers, right? It's how to protect yourself against identity thieves, hackers, snoops, and cyber criminals. So what urged you to write this book? Well, I have been passionate about the Internet for many years. I mean, I probably date myself, but I, I remember being on the internet as early as 1994 and using uh, dinosaur applications like Veronica and Gopher, things that uh, young people these days have, have never heard of. Um, internet privacy has always been an interest of mine on and off. And um, originally, I wanted to do maybe a blog or a website on the topic. Uh, but the more I looked into it, the more I was surprised there seemed to be a gap in the marketplace for such a book. And that included even some of the the big boys of, of the publishing industry. Uh, there are many good books on discrete topics and many excellent books about legal and policy implications of internet privacy. But I wanted to produce a, uh, a how-to guide, a comprehensive how-to guide for uh, everyday users. We all know privacy is under attack, but in terms of how to actually counter that, the nuts and bolts, 
how to counter those threats. That's, that's what I wanted to embark upon, and that's what I hope I've achieved with this book. Well, how did you get to be such a techie? Oh, it's actually, it's funny, you went through my background, and it's, it is very legal, but I, I probably made the wrong choice. I probably should have gone uh, into the internet or, or, or computer field. I remember programming computer games in the basic language back on my ColecoVision, again, that will date me. But uh, always interested in technology, always interested in, uh, in the internet, even in the very, very early days. Um, so I think just like a lot of people, it just was something that appealed to me, and um, uh, I've been addicted to it ever since. So even though I'm, I'm, a, I'm an attorney by training, I've always had one foot in the, in the technology field as well, I, and was tempted almost out of the field during the, the dot-com boom, but, but didn't, and maybe thankfully so I didn't. I, th- I think it's a great blend. So for the average person who's listening to us, you know, here we are sitting on the campus of the University of California, Irvine. So we've got students who are, you know, probably more techie than the elder crowd. And then we've got business people driving by. So for the average person who's surfing the web today, what are the biggest threats to their privacy? Mm, I know your radio show is about privacy. So I I just briefly talk about the security side. The, The security side, it's, I think, as always, it's the phishing and the hacking. I mean, you're an expert in identity theft, uh, so I don't need to tell you much about that. On the privacy side, for me these days, it's the the concerns I have about the tracking and profiling. I mean, I think people don't have a sense of just how much of their online activity is being monitored, how much of it is being aggregated, combined with other information, and then I'm convinced people have no clue how much of that information is being sold and for what purposes it's being sold for. Um, we see the Internet now is more social and more interactive than ever before, and all that means is that we're giving more and more of our personal privacy away. Uh, there's a reason why almost everything you can do on the Internet is free. It's because it's actually not free. You're paying for it with your personal data, with your clicks, with your preferences, with your liking, with your plus ones. This is all being collected by players on the Internet, repackaged and, and sold to the highest bidder in ways that most people don't have a clue about. And I think that's the part that is so disturbing, that it's not transparent. And, and I think for, how about in Europe? I mean, it's a little bit different about, is, is that the same in Europe when they have opt-in that, you know, you're not supposed to be able to gather information about a person unless they opt-in? Here it's opt-out. Is that ki- same kind of thing happening in Europe that, that they're being tracked everywhere as well? I think, I don't think it's as bad. It's interesting. President Obama's recent announcement about this uh, privacy Bill of Rights, the, the press release for that specifically mentioned that it was in part to play catch-up to Europe and uh, many of the United States' other trading partners. So I think they are farther along here in Europe, but frankly speaking, for the average user day-to-day on their computer, I don't know if there's much of a difference because, of course, you're clicking on click-wrap agreements that have these sorts of permissions embedded deep in their privacy policies, which nobody's reading. So technically, the providers of the services are getting the consent because we click yes, proceed, download, sign up, etc. And then so in that way, you are giving the consent. I would argue that it is probably not informed consent, but nonetheless, they've got the record of you 
consenting, and so your data is being used in ways that are described deeply buried in the in the terms of use and in the privacy policy. Right. So on a practical level, I wouldn't say it's probably much different. Ah, so it's it's just not transparent to the ordinary user, is it? You know, they you're you're not going to be reading these policies that are complicated or that take too long to read because you're trying to get in there and and do whatever it is that you want to do on the website. So it's very um I think uh deceptive for many people. Mm. They just don't know what's really going on, and I don't think it's necessarily their fault. Do you? No, I don't. I mean, people who are interested in the subject matter, yourself, myself, we might take the trouble to read some of the policies, but even frankly, I don't very often. Yeah. I'm, I, I want the service. I want the software application. I want to be able to interact with my friends online. Um, so that is, that is the very problem. The default settings are always in favor of the advertisers and the trackers, and unless you go out of your way to change them, um, they have the upper hand. And then, in fact, when you do opt out of some of these things, then a lot of the interactivity of the web is lost on you. So you are penalized, basically, for trying to protect your privacy. So it it is a problem. Not only is it um, intransparent, but there is a, a disincentive for actually trying to protect your privacy. Exactly. And, you know, you were talking about security and, and privacy and security are brothers, you know, they're, they got are twins, basically, to some extent. I mean, you can have security without privacy, but you surely can't have any privacy without security. So, so I, I, mean, I agree with you. There's a very interesting, there's a very interesting debate that goes online about these. I, I maybe avoided that debate by, by rolling privacy, anonymity and security in, into one book, because I think they are interlinked. And I think it's very hard to to pry them apart, frankly, these days. It, it is. So where do you think these current trends are going to take us in the next two to five years for Internet privacy and security? Ooh, that, that's maybe a question for, for a futurist. I mean, <laughs> things move so quickly. It, it's so difficult. I mean, uh, when you think about technology in general, I mean, to my mind, two years ago, netbooks were the next big thing, and they've almost come and gone in a very short period of time. So... Um, it's very hard to say, but if I had to venture a guess for security, I would say status quo, more of the same. I think phishing, hacking, and data breaches are going to remain the big problems. Um, I think you'll see more criminality, more professionalism in the criminality taking place um, for those concerns. For privacy, we're already seeing computing moving more and more to devices, the tablets, the smartphones. Uh, so that, that has implications right there. Uh, a very nuts and bolts level, you have a lot less control over your settings on devices, in my opinion. Uh, my PC, my clunky PC sitting on my desk, I can get much more into the nitty-gritty settings and and tailor and tweak things the way I like. I find that's not the case for most apps on tablets and smartphones. And because we're all carrying these devices around, you're going to see locational-based privacy, so-called geo-tracking and geotagging. Those are going to be uh, the big problems rolling out in the future for, for privacy. We're being encouraged to check in everywhere we go. We're using interactive maps. Um, if you're carrying a, a, a corporate device, maybe your employer is keeping tabs on you. And we saw with the recent controversy last year with the carrier IQ, sometimes you're even being tracked by third parties that uh, you're, you're unaware are, are, are doing that. Um, and that once you add that locational based information, if the trackers are adding this very rich information to your profiles, 
their profiles get all the more uh, rich and strong and therefore, you know, very troublesome for personal privacy. Yeah, we've got it. Uh, it will be a total surveillance society. It's almost like remember the movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise. <laughs> Did you see that? You know, I mean, it's just like wherever you go, people are going to know where you are. It's, you know, it, it, there's all sorts of uh, apps now that where you go into a store and it'll give you a coupon, right? So it's the same idea that it's just going to be a total surveillance society. I think, it, it, I mean, if you add to some of the things I just listed, if you add facial recognition technology and voice recognition technology, it's not that far off. And some people will welcome it because, the, you know, people will be delighted to be given special offers based on their preferences. But what they don't know is a lot of the stuff going on behind the scenes and what judgments are being made based on their profiles and who they're being used by. Right. And then if there's identity theft and, and, you know, how do you prove who you really are? I mean, it's crazy stuff. So yeah. what about, I mean, self- yeah, go ahead. No, so your, your, your tome of information uh, makes that very clear that once the genie is out of the bottle in an identity theft case, it is very, very difficult, cumbersome and onerous to get it back in the bottle. So it, it, this is why we have to take proactive steps to protect ourselves. Exactly. We're speaking with Matthew Bailey, who is an attorney and author of the new book, Complete Guide to Internet Privacy, Anonymity, and Security. And we're talking to him, which is so fun because we're talking to him through Google Voice all the way in um, in in beautiful Vienna, Austria, which is kind of fun. That I mean, talk about technology. It's great. I mean, it's costing like two cents a minute as opposed to, I don't even know what it would cost for us to do this. Or, and it's better, it's better quality than Skype. So, you know, we love the technology, right? It's just that we have to build in. It's like, you know, in your home country of Canada, you've got uh, Anne Kavukian from Ontario, who, who we love. And she's been on our show a couple of times. And she has really been a proponent of privacy by design, just building privacy into every service and technology, thinking of it at, into the architecture of the product or service, which um, we haven't been doing, obviously. <laughs> no, and, and that demand that demand has to come from us, the consumers. I think if you wait for the industries to step forward and, and push it on us, that won't happen because there's too much money to be made from our personal data. So it has to be a pull strategy. It has to be us demanding it of the products and services. And, and so far, you, you don't see that. There isn't a, what I would call a privacy premium in the marketplace yet. It and that's because be... it goes back to, Matthew, the fact that the people don't understand it. So how can they ask for something they don't even understand? That's true. And, and that, I do have a bit of a beef with, with, with the media on that because the media likes to jump on uh, very sensationalistic headlines about... Uh, uh, hackers potentially bringing down power plants, or one of my favorite stories last year was was exploding printers. But but largely the media has ignored the real problem and the real debate, which is sort of slowly but surely by creeping death, we're we're losing our 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 privacy. And again, what people can see the targeted ads, many people shrug their shoulders and say, "Oh, what's the big deal?" That is the tip of the iceberg. It's what profiles and all the rich information that companies are gleaning from what you're from what you're posting the websites you're surfing and then soon uh, the places you're walking around the profiles they're they're building about you the judgments they're they're making and how that will impact services that you're not even aware of potential 
employers checking these things, maybe insurance companies, maybe government agencies, maybe competitors, or I understand there's even a service now where you can you can get a, a report on a prospective date you might be seeing. Oh, and they sure. use mm-hmm. And they use these profiles to make a judgment about whether the person is, you know, maybe a creep or, or, or Mr. Right. Exactly. No, that, that is definitely happening. And it's like, you know, when you're talking about it creeping up in you, it's, it's almost like that story about the frog. You put, a, you put a frog in cold water and, you know, he's swimming around and he doesn't know anything. And then just slowly you start boiling it. And by the time he figures out that it's boiling, it's too late for him to jump out. You know? I, I like that analogy. <laughs> and I, I also like, I also like the, the, the health analogy in that a bit like um, taking, care of, taking care of yourself. It, it's easy to neglect these things, but over the long term, um, if, 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 if we ignore these personal privacy concerns, uh, it could be too late. There will already be 10, 15 years worth uh, of data amassed by these companies. They're, they're buying it and selling it from each other, enhancing their own databases. And, and then and the that's hackers what, are taking it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If the biggest companies in the world are being hacked, what hope does, what hope do the, the little people have protecting themselves. Yeah. So it, is, it is really crucial that people start turning their minds to these things, asking the questions, and, and giving their business to companies and, and providers that take these things seriously. I know. And, you know, that's why, thank goodness, you wrote this book, A Complete Guide to Internet Privacy, Anonymity, and Security. And that's the reason why I wanted to have this show that I've had now for six years, because I kept saying, somebody has to be talking about this. But, you know, when you were talking about blaming the media, I have a a friend who writes for a very large uh, national newspaper here in, in this country. And I used to be able to bring him in really incredible stories about identity theft victims that it would expose a lot of things about companies. And he told me this last year that he no longer has the freedom to write about what he wants to write. Mm. And if he wants to keep his job, they tell him basically what stories he can do, what stories he can't do. And so I don't, I, I blame the head of the media and how they're influenced by big companies. So you know, it, it, you know, we have to have a grassroots thing because Congress is being paid by these big companies. You know, they're getting money to run. And so at least in our country, you know, the politics is really much influenced by these large players. So the little guy like like me. All right. That's, you know, speaking out. Um, yeah. it, 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 you know, we've got to do it more on the Internet and have this grassroots effort because they just people just don't know it. And I don't blame the people. I blame mm-hmm. the fact that they just are not, it's not transparent. And it's, it just is a challenge for us to bring this to the forefront. And you know, when we learn about it, when we hear of a horrible victim story, mm-hmm. when a horrible identity theft story or a horrible privacy story where someone, you know, is locked up in jail for, for, for something that he didn't do, mm-hmm. or, you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. It, it, in some ways, maybe this is a bad analogy, but I, I think it, it, it works somehow. It reminds me a little bit of the, of the financial crisis. We have a, you have a very complicated system, which very few people understand, and the few people that do understand it and can exploit it can make a ton of money. And so the rest of us are just trying to uh, understand what we can, and until there is a big problem... Um, it is intransparent. People don't understand it until, uh, you know, until something horrible happens. Yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, that's what we saw with the mortgage crisis, right? And then, and then, then the politicians like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? It's just like even with Bernie Madoff, which you must have heard about how he ripped off so many people. Well, for so long, people just ignored it. You know, a lot of people didn't understand what was going on, but even those who had reason to question what he was doing just kept it quiet. The the point about the media is interesting because, again, it is it is about money, and we all know. Um, many newspapers are struggling these days, and maybe they're not reporting about this tracking and profiling of personal data because that is one of the few ways they're generating revenue on yes. their website. Yes. So that's <laughs> potentially a conflict there, and maybe that has something to do with it as well. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about social networking. You have one chapter on social networking, but I think that is a, is a huge issue, and, you know, what... There's been all sorts of things in recently about even a Facebook saying, well, you know, we don't want employers to 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 force you to give up your <clears throat> uh, your password to get in or whatever. So social networking is where we individually are putting a ton of stuff online that even if you just close it to your friends, other, you know, people can see it. If you have a friend that's no longer a friend, they can, you know, share what you've put up there. I mean, really and truly, if you put something online, it's not private, right? I would agree with that. Some people would say I'm being too dramatic, but I think a safe approach is to assume uh, you think you're posting something to your 50 closest friends, but you're much better to hesitate about everything you post and proceed on the basis that this will be seen or used somehow by a a wider audience at some point. I mean, it's even worse than the example you use because according to some pundits, the recent changes to privacy policies on certain social networking sites mean that companies will be able to get at the data indirectly even when they can't get at it directly. My friend, for example, uses an application and because of the terms of the agreement that person has with the app, it can serendipitously get to my information because I'm that person's friend. So it is very, very difficult. You, you, you see your friend list, you see your buddy list, you think, okay, these are the only 30 people, 50 people that are going to be seeing this information. Uh, it's, it's, it's not the case. You should assume that that information is getting out there and is going to be used. It may be disaggregated, it may be anonymized, but the fact that something is on a no-name basis almost becomes irrelevant now because the profiles are so specific that uh, what, what does a name attributed to a profile matter if the profile is so specific it can only be about essentially one or a handful of people in the country. Yes, yeah. So uh, let, let's talk a little bit about what you think about these security breaches. You know, we hear about them all the time, whether it's a, a you know, a healthcare agency or whether it's a university or banks or insurance companies, we're hearing about these huge security breaches. And people, it's, you know, are from, from obviously from my perspective, I, I have a perspective about it with regard to identity theft. But mm. do you think this stuff is overhyped or do you think this stuff is really just a, another way of just people getting, um, you know, kind of, desensitized to this? Well, it's it's so difficult because it's something, again, that's completely out of your control. You're, in many cases, trusting, I mean, some of the world's 
biggest companies. So if they can't protect the data, who can? And you simply have no choice. I mean, people need your billing information. Agencies need to keep the information on. Um, the, the worst part of it, too, is that many of the breaches are not reported. You see reports where, um, for public relations reasons, some of the breaches are are not reported for a long time, or some of them are simply buried. And those are, in many cases, worse, because then there cannot be any remedial measures taken. So I think it's... it's, it's you don't want to say people are helpless about it, but really, what can the average person do other than... Um, and maybe this is where the attorneys come in. Maybe there is some uh, advantages to to the tort laws and these companies being held responsible for not properly securing the data. But I, I unfortunately, I don't have any. I don't have any answers for you. If uh, I can give advice on how people should be protecting their own data, but once it's in the hands of third parties, it's very, very difficult. These people have on staff experts and very highly paid consultants, and if even they cannot keep the data secure, then it is, it is, it is a very worrying situation indeed. Yes, and most of our data breach laws, like the one in California, which was actually the first uh, security breach law in our country, <clears throat> and I think even before Europe, I, didn't think, I think they followed suit after us, but um, it basically says that if there is a, um, if, if there's sensitive data that is acquired by an unauthorized person, then there is a duty to disclose to all possible victims, okay? And, and, and the, the carrot is if you encrypt the data, then you don't have to disclose. But there really isn't any private right of action, you know, that, that many of the federal government is, is saying, well, if there's no harm yet, you, you don't have a right to sue, <laughs> so um, that's that's the, been the problem that they if they're basically they've been dismissing these cases at the federal level, saying no harm, no foul. You know, if you're a victim of identity theft, then come back to us. But unfortunately, lots of times the victims um, don't realize that these fraudsters get you know millions of of data, and what they do is they hold it for a year and then sell it. So you don't know there isn't a close nexus in time necessarily to the security breach and the actual use of the information. But I, I've seen some statistics where the yes, the, some victims of identity theft, it it can take two years to find out that there has been that kind of breach. Exactly. Exactly. We we have just a couple minutes left, and I want to get to in your book. You you know you have so many great tips. Can you give me a few tips to take with that my listeners can listen to about, you know, if they're not really technology oriented, what's the absolute minimum that they should do to make sure that they're safe when they're surfing? Well, I'm very big on um, what I would say is that the, the, the first three should be passphrases, passphrases, passphrases. Uh, I, I say that as a joke, but, but, but really it is the Achilles heel of many of these hacking and and. Uh, and Breach scams. People have to have strong passphrases. We all know this. It's the sort of you thing mean we all know, yeah, but we simply yeah. don't implement it. And there are plenty of free tools out there to help you generate strong passwords and remember them. So that, that has got to be everyone's top priority in terms of protecting themselves. Um, if there's time, I would also say people should be using full disk encryption as well. If nothing else, if your laptop is stolen, 
That's like having your wallet stolen a hundred times. Your laptop is a treasure, a treasure trove of information. So again, lots of free tools. You don't have to be spending any money to protect yourself by encrypting your, your computers, laptops especially. And everyone should be trying to use the internet as anonymously as possible. People will easily pay five, six, seven dollars for their morning coffee fix. For that amount of money or less every month, you can surf and use the internet anonymously and avoid this tracking and profiling problems. So these are the sorts of things I would encourage everyone to do. Okay. Could you just give the website for your book and then we got to go? Sure. It's an acronym for Complete Guide to Internet Privacy, Anonymity, and Security. So it's www.cogipas.com. So www.cogipas.com. And just remember, Complete Guide to Internet Privacy, Anonymity, and Security. And thank you so much for joining us all the way from beautiful Vienna, we will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye, Matthew. Thanks, Marty. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy. Visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy and write us about what's important to you about privacy in the information age and see our upcoming guests and download podcasts. Bye. Stay private. <laughs> The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.